0: (laughs) Oh, my God. questions you might have, why do you go give us a call at 291-6901. And you put our area code, which is 225, in front of that number. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. That's right. And we sure wish you would. We'd love to talk to you and get you some information and kind of help you out and point you in the right direction. And
1: there you go. There you go. <laughs> That's the name of that tune. <laughs> we got Mike on line. Good morning, Mike. Brian. Hey. I, I have a 1996 Geo Prism. And it's for about five years, it's been making some transmission noise. It used to be when I just put it into first gear. Mm-hmm. But now it's all the time. It's even a fifth gear on the highway. And it's considerably worse in the wintertime. If it's 15 degrees out, it makes quite a racket. It's quieter during the summer. Yeah. Is there anything I can put in there to quiet it down a little bit? Mm-hmm. I, get the, I have it changed with synthetic fluid.
0: Yeah, yeah. I really doubt there's anything you're going to add to it, Mike, that's going to make any appreciable difference. Sounds like it's probably got some bearings that are going bad inside the unit. And what happens, one bearing starts out. That's a little noise at first. But then as it gets bad, the metal and stuff from that bearing starts to circulate with the fluid, gets into the other bearings, it starts to affect them, and then it starts making noise pretty much all the time. Let me ask you, if you put it in neutral or put the clutch in and coast, is the noise still there?
2: I don't believe
0: so. I will test that. Yeah, check that and see, because you're kind of loading and unloading the transmission when you do that. But it sounds like most likely you've got some bearings inside the unit. If you don't want to fork out the money and have it rebuilt, you might look at, like, a used transmission. A lot of times you can find a used transmission with lower miles, and that gives you a lower price thing that you can do. Not real, real difficult to replace that one. I mean, probably out of the hands of most do-it-yourselfers because front-wheel drive vehicle, but... A shop could swap that out for you. Normally, it's about a four to six hour job to swap it out. So you multiply that times whatever the labor rate of the shop that you're dealing with.
2: Right. And the, which uh, is the used part, uh, you know,
0: approximately? It would just depend. Mike, the way they price used parts is the popularity of the part. What that I- means is... The more market they have, the higher they get. Some parts that don't go bad very often. I mean, like Toyota Motors, you can generally buy pretty cheap because they don't go bad very often. Like a Ford 5.43 liter, they get top dollar for them because they're in demand because they go out a lot. Right. Now, that's basically a Toyota transmission in that that's car. routine
1: maintenance on a Ford, right? Changing the motor? Yeah, well, <laughs> I didn't say that,
0: but yeah. <laughs> we did two this week, so. <laughs> but yeah, you just have to call around or go on the internet and just type in type of car and transmission and word used, and you'd be surprised how many will pop up. Almost all of the salvage yards are online now, and you can actually buy it, or you could even go to a shop, have them buy it. Either way, check it both ways, see how the price runs. And I don't think you would... I guess if I just had to guess, probably in the $600 neighborhood, maybe.
1: Okay. When that does completely fail, mm-hmm. is that going to lock? most likely like the wheels up We'll just have no it's going to
0: depend on how it fails right. mike it's kind of okay. like people you die in all kind of different ways right if a gear breaks it if, if physically a gear breaks or shaft becomes welded together yes it will lock the car up but most okay. of the time what happens is you'll lose one gear or another gear and you know you can still actually drive it you just won't have that gear it won't go into the gear It'll start grinding so bad you won't be able to put it in gear those sorts of things okay Alrighty? Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, where are you I, calling from, Mike? From Long Island, New York. Okay, I was oh, going to oh, say great. 15 degrees. It wasn't from around here.
1: <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. All right, Mike, I appreciate I just, you calling. I just want to say I enjoy your show so much. You guys are so cool. I would listen even if I didn't have a car. There you <laughs> well, go. Well, hey, I you. appreciate it, man. Right, thank you. Thanks, Mike. Bye-bye.
0: I 291 right, is the number if you want to be part of the Automotive Yeah, when he says 15 degrees out, I said, Oh, yeah, he knew he
1: wasn't from around he here. Yeah, nowhere. he's not from here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and going back to Alonzo, CJ, good morning, CJ. Uh, good morning. How are you this morning? Doing great, sir.
2: I have a 2001 Toyota Tacoma. Mm-hmm. I changed the, the belts. There are three belts okay, on the yes, engine. Sir. Mm-hmm. And as I start the engine, it squeaks for about 10 to 15 seconds. Mm-hmm. I assume... The belts are not tight enough, and I'm scared to put them too tight. I have approximately a half of an inch to wiggle up and down on most belts. Now, I assume it's the belt that's connected to the alternator.
0: Well, it could be, CJ. Do you use Toyota belts, or do you use aftermarket? I have Gates belts. Yeah, sometimes the aftermarket belts will just squeak. They're just noisy for whatever reason. I don't think they're cut quite as good as a toyota belts and ironically if you check toyota they're very reasonable on the belts, probably cheaper than you pay for those Uh, i like the original belt now what you can do is just take some water in a little spray bottle and just mist it on each belt when it's squeaking and the second you hit the belt that's squeaking the noise will likely go away okay and that's how you can isolate it start
2: the engine yeah Uh well that's
0: because it's cold and the belt's a little harder as soon as it slips a little bit it gets real hot and it gets softer so it starts to grip I would first just maybe put a little bit more on each one and see if the noise goes away or gets a lot better. If it does not, then I would start looking for other things. I mean, it could be a misalignment. It could be a miscut belt sometimes you get that. Let me ask you, were the belts making noise before you changed them? No. we're not? Okay, so okay. you probably don't have any kind of problem with your pulleys or any of that. I would suspect either they're just not quite tight enough or one of those belts is just not cut exactly right. And you know, Gates makes a good product, but they also make two lines of products. They're cheaper belts I don't really like, and a lot of stores handle those. They have an upper line of belt, which is an OEM equivalent, and I like those. They're pretty good. You might even see if you can isolate which belt it is. Take it back and see if you can swap it for the upper line belt or just swap it for a Toyota belt. When do I know if I put too much pressure on the belt? Well, if, like you said, you can push down in the center of the belt, you ought to have about a quarter to a half an inch of movement. If you get too much, you can start tearing pulleys up and all, but you could certainly put a little bit more and see if it changes. If you okay. put a little bit more and only does it for the first second instead of the first 10 seconds, well, you know you're moving in the right direction. Okay. If it doesn't affect it at all, then you know you're probably into a bad belt.
2: I have another question you to bet. ask, if I may. You bet. I have a 2001 dodge durango
1: mm-hmm.
2: and the heater core is leaking
1: yes sir mm-hmm.
2: now i understand that that is a major
0: job it is it is very you much so. take, okay do you do that function that service that you're looking yes for? sir we do now what's the most important of all cj and you may or may not hear this from anyone else but i'm gonna tell you the straight scoop when a heater core goes out there is a reason why it went out it didn't just go out and i know there are people going to argue that but i'm gonna tell you People who go in and just change the heat core generally come back about six months later and end up having to replace it again because something caused it to go out. A lot of times you have some electrolysis going on in the system. You may have an unbalance in your cooling system. But be sure whoever does the job is smart enough to figure out what the root cause was because i have seen so many heat of course come to us that have been replaced and now they have to do the job again and let me tell you it's a big job the first time you don't want to do it twice oh yeah once you do it once you open the doors and you look in from the passenger seat and you can see the back of the firewall yeah you you got everything i mean it's everything comes out yeah so you want to make sure they got the root cause that's the difference between going to a professional and going to someone who's not quite as good like i said i can't tell you how many we've had come in who have spent the money to have it fixed and now they're on their second one
2: Okay. All righty. Well, all right. Well, I appreciate it. I listen uh, quite often to your
0: program, and I really enjoy it. Well, good, CJ. I appreciate it, man. Have a good day. Thank, Thank you, sir. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right. Two nine 291-6901 is a number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would absolutely love to have you. And we've got. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, Craig. I cut you off. If you call back, I'll put you right straight back up to the top of the list. We've got Ben on the line. Good morning, Ben. Hi, Lewis and
3: Brian. Good, good morning. morning. Love your show, guys. Thank you. Sir. Thank you. Listening to you for a long time. Hey, I've got a real strange question. Mm-hmm. You folks have been around long enough. Is there a root problem with a certain size tire? I have a Toyota T one hundred and mm-hmm. it came from the factory with thirty one ten fifty tires. Thirty one ten fifty fifteen. And I have, I've put the third set of tires Mm -hmm, on it, mm -hmm. and it doesn't wear the tires uneven. And I'm one of those people that doesn't like my car to shake at all going down the highway. Mm -hmm. I'm not hard on the tires. I I don't drive fast or aggressive. Right, But I just keep, and I put name brand, the best tires that you know. Yeah, Ben, I'm
0: going to tell you, that tire did not come from Toyota. It may have been a port installed option. Because mm-hmm. a 311050 is not a standard size. That's an aftermarket size. It was probably installed at the port as part of a package. Now, with that also comes generally a set of non-original equipment wheels. And there's what happens a lot of times, dealerships will buy sort of a stripped-down model and have the port dress it up. And when you get the car, it looks like it came that way because it came to you that way. But it's less expensive for them many times to have the port install a lot of the options than to buy it from Toyota that way. I would okay. suspect you may have a wheel that is not hub-centric. You may have a lug-centric type wheel or something like that going on. Okay. And where are you calling from, Ben? Ohio. Okay. You're going to need to find someone who is fairly versed in suspension work. And what you could actually do yourself is just loosen the lug nuts on one of the wheel any one of the wheels, and see if you can move that wheel that is after you jack it up right right yeah if you can move the wheel up down side to side when it's pressed against the hub but without the lug nut tight then that means that wheel is lug centric and not hub centric and there's a hub centric wheel the hub is machined exactly the size of the hole in the wheel and that does a much much finer job because when they balance that wheel what they do is they go in with a cone off that center hole So the wheel's perfectly balanced on the balancer. But when they put it on your truck, if the lug nuts are centering it up, it may not center exactly the same, so it may not be running balanced on the truck. That would be the most common thing I can think of. I I can think of a lot of things, but that would by far be the most common thing. So just loosen up the lug nuts. See if you can move that wheel with it on the truck. Now, if you can it's still not the end of the world what you can have to find is someone who can balance the wheels through the lug studs and they make adapters that can do that for instance agco we have lug adapters that will actually balance through the lug stud rather than through the center hole but most tire stores are not going to do that they're just going to put a cone in that center hole and they're going to centered up that way which may be perfectly centered on the balancer and perfectly balanced on the balancer but when it gets on your truck it may be running off center so it's not going to be balanced when are you going to open a store in ohio <laughs> <laughs> right after <laughs> all point in orlando <laughs> all
3: right well thank you guys i didn't realize that could actually happen oh yeah very com-
0: yeah very common issue try that if that doesn't get it you call me back or email me i'll give you some more stuff to check on thank you all right thanks ben. Mm-hmm. Bye. All right, is the number we will be right back. Craig, if you hold on, you'll be straight up after this break. Travel my way, take the highway.
1: And that's why Justin Bieber should never, I repeat, never be cloned. Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse show with me. Alphonse, the know-it-all Cajun. Hey! Caller, what you want to know? Alphonse, my six-year-old car needs about $2500 worth of work, a new A.C., and tires. You think I should do it or invest in a new car? So how much you paid for it six years ago? $40,000. $40,000. Well, now it's valued at about $10,000, so it costs you $30,000 to drive it the last six years. That's $5,000 a year. Well, let's say you keep the car and spend about $2,500 on repairs every couple of years, which is about $1,200 a year. Way less than a new car, huh? Whoa, sounds like I need to keep my old car. Then bring it to Agco Automotive for regular maintenance, and it will last you even longer. Now that sounds like a good investment. Hey, hey, Al, you got any stock market tips? Oh, for that, you got to tune to my other show, Al's Financial Hour. Booyah! Learn more about the benefits of Agco at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco, it's the place to go.
0: Hey, welcome back. Here's Join Us, The Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Outsand, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. What's going to give us a call? It's 291-6901. We would love to hear from you, and that's what Craig did. Good morning, Craig. Hey, how you doing, Tom? Doing great, sir. Uh-
2: I got a 98 Camry and it's my daughter's car, and the temperature gauge on the dash seemed like it wouldn't work. It would just uh-huh. go up just a slight bit, so I changed the uh, sensor, and now it goes up about a quarter of the way, and then when you're sitting in idling, island, it'll go up, you know, about a little less than
0: halfway.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I was wondering what why it's not going up when you're regular driving.
0: Yeah, that sounds like the thermostat may be partially stuck open, Craig, because what should happen is that when you start to drive, you've got air blowing through your radiator which is cooling it down more than sitting at an idle also the water pump's turning faster so it's circulating more water so you're gonna the thermostat closes at that time to restrict the flow to keep the temperature up you know at an idle engine is going to get pretty warm just because the water pump's turning slow and there's not much airflow but i would say you probably had two different problems you, you had a sensor that was reading somewhat off but it sounds like you got a thermostat that's stuck maybe not completely open but partially open you just can't close off enough to warm that water up when it's got a full uh, water pump turning and, and air flow okay that's, yeah, that's not a big big deal on that one fairly okay. easy you know i would probably keep that little car as long as you possibly can that's one of the best cars i ever built Oh, yeah. That 98 to, yeah. to early 2000 model Camry was one of the finest cars. Actually, a whole lot better than the newer ones, in my opinion. I really like that car. We have, I've seen so many of them with 200, and 250, and 300,000 miles. I don't even count them anymore.
2: Yeah, so you got 245 on them. So. Yeah, and yeah. still runs
0: great. I mean, those little cars are just bulletproof. They were simple. They were easy to repair. They were inexpensive to repair. Just a great little car. I mean, as long as you can keep it running, I would keep it running. Yeah. Look, I appreciate it, man. Right, man. Have a good day. Thanks a lot, man. Bye-bye. All right, two nine one sixty nine oh one is a number. If you want to be part of the automotive, aisle, we would love to have you. And we're going back to the phone with Michael. Good morning, Michael.
2: Good morning. Yes, Good sir. Morning. I have a question. I have a two thousand thirteen GMC,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and it's got that oil monitoring thing yes, on it. Yes, I, mm-hmm. I want to know just how accurate is that? Because I think right now, I think I got about ten thousand miles on the all that I have now. Yeah, oh, man.
0: yeah. I don't like that, Michael, because what it is when car companies give out a maintenance schedule. They're rated and ranked based on that. In other words, you've got companies like Consumer Reports and those guys, and they don't have the wherewithal to see how long this vehicle is going to last when they come out with it. So what they do is they look at the maintenance schedule, and they say, well, this one requires a lot less maintenance, so it's a better vehicle. And so it looks very favorable if they don't have very much maintenance or have very low maintenance on a vehicle. So they tell the engineers, hey, look, how can we build a vehicle with the lowest possible maintenance on it? And the first question from the engineers, how long does it have to last? They say 100,000 miles. Okay, no problem. Then they do that. Now, the key is, Michael, if you can afford to drive that truck 100,000 miles and then just throw it away and go get you a new one, then you can follow their schedule because it'll pretty much do that. That's what it's engineered for. But if you're like me and you got to keep it beyond that, well, that's oh, not going to work out real well for you because what's going to happen is when you start getting up to the higher mileages, you'll see stuff like the rear main seals start leaking because the seals have gotten hard because all the stuff that keeps them pliable is going away. You'll see valve cover gaskets leaking, you'll start to see your oil pressure dropping and just issues like that, transmission problems, because if you follow their schedule, it's predicated on you keeping the vehicle one hundred thousand miles. And you gotta remember the guy giving you that schedule is in the business selling new cars. So if yeah. you get hundred thousand and it pretty much falls apart, what are you gonna do? you go and buy another car
2: yeah (laughs) yeah i I don't want to do that yeah this is going to last me quite a while yeah they just
0: cost too much for that in my opinion i can't afford to follow their maintenance schedule and but that's how that all came about and it's just gaining popularity because they're all in a race to nowhere to try to get the lowest maintenance out because they get better ratings and rankings on account of that but that's not in your best interest you know all changes really don't need to be predicated on mileage at all they need to be predicated based on the way you drive the vehicle for instance if your average trip is short like mine i but, live yeah. Yeah, i live about four or five miles from where i work so i crank it up i drive five miles it sits i go to lunch i drive two or three miles it sits i come back it sits i go home it sits so under those that's extreme conditions i have changed my over three thousand miles now, let's say you live in Baton Rouge and you work in Sorrento and you're driving 45, 50 miles at a time. well right. You can go a little longer on that, but I would never, ever go out to the 10,000 miles like they, I mean, when I say longer, you can go four or 5,000 right. miles pretty safely. But okay. if you're on the road salesman and you get in your car, you drive to Dallas, you get in your car, you drive to Atlanta, you're 500 miles at a time. Well, you could probably go seven, 8,000 miles on all change. Okay. But, no, you, you're you going to pay the price down the road, and by the time you figure out that it's a mistake, it's just too late to, to do anything about it.
2: Okay, so I know what to do now. All right, bye. <laughs> I, I, I know, th- thank y'all guys. Yes, sir. Thank, thank you. you.
0: Right. Bye-bye. Right. All one sixty nine zero one is the number if you want to be part of the automotive We'd love to have you. Why don't you go give us a call? You know, I did a little experiment with my truck. I got mm-hmm. an 06 Silverada, mm-hmm. and I changed the oil at 3,000 miles, right. and I reset the gauge. Mm-hmm. The next 3,000 miles, the light hadn't come on yet. I set changed the oil, did mm-hmm. not reset the light. Right. It didn't come on until 7,500 miles. Oh, I know and i'm like you i drive five miles ten miles at a time yeah it sits all day and then i drive that back and i'm not sure what conditions <clears throat> they're looking at i'm not either on that but they're not looking at something very important which is how long you're making your average trip and that would not exactly. be hard for them to calculate i would No, think it's all could, in the software already they could look at the key cycles and know how long the average trip is but apparently they're not looking at that my truck same way i don't reset that little light and i just kind of watch and it'll go out almost eight nine thousand miles before it recommends a change yeah and that all is 100% depleted. Oh, sure. And, Contaminated? Uh, well, yeah. And they're looking at it from a standpoint of lubrication breakdown. How far can we push this all until it no longer lubricates the engine? Right. And that is one factor. But the other factors are the stuff, like I said, that keeps the seals pliable, This dispersants that pick up contaminants in the oil, mm-hmm. anti-foam agents, all those things deplete even faster than lubrication does. Sure. And liquid contaminants are your really your biggest problem because when you crank the car up on a morning like this morning, it's pretty cool out. So that engine's maybe 30 degrees, 40 degrees, whatever it is. Uh-huh. You, you crank it up, it starts to gain temperature. It gets up to 75, 80, 100, 110, 120, 130, 140, 150, maybe 180 degrees. You turn it off. Now you've got something real hot, and it's getting cool. So right. what happens is moisture condenses. It's it's that's right. Condensation is going to form in the crankcase. The dispersants in the oil are going to pick it up and hold it in suspension. Correct. But they can only hold so much. When they get enough of it in there, it starts to turn into acid and it starts to attack the metal in the system. Well, and the only way to get it out is with a change. That's right. Because it's a liquid, it goes right through the oil filter with the oil. Right. If you block that off, you're going to block the flow of oil off. So your liquid contaminants are going right through the oil filter. Making things real, real worse is let's say you've got like an intake gasket leaking or something like that and you get a little glycol in your oil. Right. Well, now it's even 10 times worse. And again, and, it's going right through the filter. Sure. And by the time you see it in the oil, it's too late. It's already damaged. The damage has already been done. That's right. And a drain and fill is the only way to get that out. Right. Let's go back to our phone lines with Adam. Good morning, Adam.
2: Hi, Lewis. I'm calling from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Okay, good. 2009 Camry recently gifted from my father to my wife and I. Okay, great. And I changed the oil about 3,000 miles ago mm-hmm. with Mobile One 5 V 20 as the manual suggests. Yes, yeah, sir. Mm-hmm. And he's been running 10W30 in it for the last, all oh, 140,000 miles on it. Yeah. He's got it, he bought it at 40,000 miles. It's mm-hmm. now got 185. Right. And I noticed that when I checked it recently that I
0: here to be burning some oil yeah that's quite common <laughs> if you change the brand of all because mobile one is a fine product but it may or may not be compatible with what he was using prior and if the additives are not the same it may start to consume some oil can you find out from him what brand of all he was using before
1: yeah mobile one 10 w 30
0: he's using mobile one 1030 make sure he's yep. using the same mobile one because there's two or three different ones and see 1030, just the regular yeah 1030 would make absolutely no sense in your environment because know. when they're hot, they're both 30 weight all. <laughs> right. And when they're cold, is, which is important, it's going to be much thicker, so it's not going to get to the top of the motor nearly as fast as the 530 does. That's the reason they right. use it. So it makes absolutely no sense. What I would probably do is stick with the 530 like you're doing and keep an eye on it. It may take up after a while. If it does not, sometimes you can go in and do what we call a chemical treatment on the engine. That's where they take the spark plugs out, run some stuff down through the plugs, run some stuff through the crankcase. You may have some stuck rings in it, and you might be able to free them up. It's not going to hurt anything; may help, but other than that, it, unless it's just an inordinate amount of oil, I would probably just live with it because the fix is probably a lot worse than the problem.
2: Right. So I should just stick with the 5W20 yes, as oh, I yeah, would recommend. Yeah. Yes, so you're going to okay. be far
0: better off, particularly in a cold climate, because it's going to get to the top of the motor and start lubricating a lot faster than the other.
2: Right. Most of the oil, most of the engine wears at startup. Correct? That's right. So that that is correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. Alrighty, well, I will use the 520 and continue with
0: that. Alright, thank Adam, thanks, man. <laughs> Appreciate it. Thanks for calling. <laughs> Bye-bye. Alright, All right, we're going to take another quick little break, and we will be right back with more on the Automotive Hour.
1: And that's why you never put a dead or live octopus in the microwave. Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Hey! Caller, what you want to know? Alphonse, my old truck needs some repairs. Or should I buy a new one to save money? Well, let me get out my calculator here. Let's say a new truck costs about $35,000 plus $3,500 or so in taxes, then higher insurance. And you know, in about three years, the value's gonna drop to about 15000 That's $8,000 a year just to drive it. Wow, I've never thought of it like that. I suggest taking it to Agco Automotive for a general inspection to see if your old truck is worth keeping. Which I think it is. And if so, keep bringing it to Agco for regular maintenance. And you'll be able to drive it for a whole lot longer. And I can spend money on other things, like my beautiful wife. I'm assuming she's right there in the room with you, huh? Alphonse, you do know it all, don't you? Learn more about the benefits of agco at agcoauto.com that's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. agco it's the place to go
2: noise off the river to ride don't mind it cause the man with the whiskers
1: has a hey welcome back just join us the
0: automotive hour i'm your host lewis and with mr Bruce brian and terry and hey truth to- <laughs> <you what laughs> between the two of us we'll try to have any questions you might have why do go and give us a call It's 291 and should you happen to miss the opportunity you have this morning to get a live answer, That's right. you can always go to our website and get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. The easy way to remember that is to take the acronym Altazan's Garage Company. That will get you to our site, and there's a contact bar on each and every page just click the button fill out the form and send it in it couldn't be any easier that's right and there's tons of information in fact you may actually find whatever you're looking for right there if you do a search it'll bring up all the things on the topic that you want to know about right uh-huh. there and we have the detailed topics which is a sort of a long drawn out answer tells you all about it and then we also have the vehicle questions, which is a more short answer to a specific question. Correct. So you may find your question already answered. And if not, please feel free to go ahead and send me an email. I don't ever mind that and I'll get you an answer back, custom-tailored. There you go. And, of course, it's even easier Just pick up the phone right now and give me a call, and I'll <laughs> answer straight off the top of my head. There you go. <laughs> go ahead and put me on the spot there, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we really appreciate all the folks who do call in. I think it makes the show a lot more interesting. Of course, we can just sit here and jack our jaw back and forth about car stuff. But sure. We've got, sure. eno- we got enough of that to talk about. But I'm telling you. It just, to me, is a lot more interesting when we talk to people and have the questions and stuff like that, so we always really like it when folks call in. Well, sure, and their question kind of answers – Several more questions that were out there, and people may not have wanted to call in, but they get the questions answered anyway. Well, that's right. A lot of times you may have a question on your mind that you kind of sort of know the answer to, but when you call in, someone else had the same question they didn't want to call, so they'll hear it, and it answers Right. It there, so it actually does a service. So we always appreciate that, 291-6901. We'll get you right straight to us. Got all our lines wide open. Be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. That we will. There you go. One of the things that we do, I guess, the most of at ACO, one of the services that we perform the most is brake service. Correct. Brakes of all different sorts. And brakes are one of those things that are relatively simple. They haven't changed drastically over the years, although they have refined and well, changed the, the, them. Well, the principle is the same. Yeah, the, it's just the, the added features and everything that have been added to it over the years. A lot of electronic control. Right. The general principle is hydraulics. That's right. And the beautiful thing about hydraulics is because it's physics it always acts one way. Correct. If you know the principle of hydraulics, you can figure out most of the problems with hydraulic brakes. Sure. As opposed to, say, an electronic problem where it doesn't follow logic. It follows the logic of the person who wrote the program the that it. The programmer. The programmer or engineer. And if his logic was... I'm not going to use the word flawed because that's a bit strong. Some but Fuzzy, maybe? Yeah, well, not the same as yours. Okay. He was looking at some different parameter than what you're looking at. It makes it almost impossible to figure out how th- is this supposed to operate. Mm-hmm. And because you can't take it apart and look inside and say, well, I see a shiny spot right here where this is rubbing, or I see this, or I see that. It makes it much, much more difficult to diagnose problems. But with hydraulics, because that is basically physics, it's going to always follow the same sure thing if you do this you're going to get that if I take a cylinder that's two inches in diameter and push a cylinder that's one inch in diameter it is going to move twice as fast but it's going to have half as much force Uh uh-huh and vice versa if I take a one inch piston and push a two inch piston it's going to move half as fast but it's going to have twice as much force that is basic physics and that's not ever going to fail you sure so that's why we make it it's it's so much easier for people to figure a lot of these things out but we still see a lot of people come in with problems that they just can't figure out Uh uh-huh Most of the time, it's because they put something back together contrary to the way it was designed. Okay. Without maybe realizing exactly how or why this was done a certain way. We're going to talk about that a little more. First, we're going to talk to John. Good morning, John. Good
2: morning, guys. Good morning. Y'all started talking about Uh brakes. As you were talking about earlier, it cues something. (laughs) A little bit of background. I was out of town. My wife called. She Mm -hmm. was getting gas. She got back in the car, put the brake pedal down, and heard a loud pop. Okay. She pulled out of the place, and the brake pedal went all the way to the floor. Oh, okay. wow. So long, story, long story short, I was able to get it to a shop that I trust. Uh-huh. It was the vacuum line off the master cylinder that popped. Hmm. And so, so they replaced the line, and now we got brakes. Uh-huh. But what I got now is now I got Stabilitrack flashing and analog brakes yeah
0: what kind of vehicle is it john your favorite it's a 2008 gmc acadia oh yeah yeah those are relatively hard to bleed i would almost bet you that they've got probably some air still in those lines you've almost got to have a tech 2 scan tool to bleed that vehicle properly is the pedal a bit more spongy than it used to be no, the pedal is actually great now. Feels good? Hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It feels good. Yeah, the pedal's and, uh, not spongy. They may have knocked the line off right. or something. There's first, a lot of... first thing I'd do is pull the codes and see what's turning the light on. Okay. And go from there. I mean, if it's brake light switch or something like that, it should be relatively easy to fix. You may end up, they may, like Lewis was saying, they may have knocked a wire off when they were in there rooting around. Right. Maybe one of the ABS sensors. There's be. a sensor to each wheel. And those are pretty easy to knock or hit when you're in there working so i yeah. would just like brian said if you retrieve the codes it'll tell you the circuit that's called it won't tell you the problem but it'll tell you the circuit that's causing the problem If it's like a brake light circuit then you need to start looking at the brake light switch and all that sort of thing that's one failure that we see a lot now, and yeah. with the pedal going all the way to the floor, it may have dislodged that switch somehow. Well, it's, it's also possible. possible that if the pedal went to the floor, it could have damaged the master cylinder. And it may have started leaking into the booster. That's another pretty common problem we see on that one, and that uh-huh. will set some codes mm-hmm. as well. So start out with the code, which right. will be stored. That will at least tell you where to start looking, and it's probably a conventional problem that was maybe brought on by the other problem.
2: Yeah, okay. All right,
3: guys. All right. Appreciate it. Hey,
0: thanks, all right, John. bye Bye-bye. Uh, bye-bye. Hi, right, 291-6901 is the number if you want to of the automotive. We've got John again. Good morning, John. Hi, it's John from Toronto. Hey, was John, <laughs> how are you today? Good. Well, I wanted to thank you over the weekend. You sent me some good information
3: about the 08 Accord we have with 60,000 yes, miles. Mm-hmm. And I just thought other people might, and you know, I know this was sort of a lull in the phone call, so I thought I'd jump in. Mm-hmm. And you might want to tell people about cars like that where you think that there, uh, there's a lot on the Internet saying the problems, I think it's with rings. Prematurely going and having engines replaced, but you made a point about doing the oil change and we were talking about earlier and how important it's all so be quiet. I just wanted to be <laughs> a good thing to tell everybody else.
0: Well good, John, I appreciate you calling. What that is all about is that they have seen on two thousand eight a card some all consumption issues, and it is a somewhat weak design. However, what we have noticed is that in almost every case, if you're following Honda's recommended maintenance schedule you see those kinds of problems a lot more the folks who follow a more i guess enlightened type of a maintenance schedule where they're basing all changes on use and not on that light are not seeing that problem hardly at all and it's kind of like everything else in life john you know, if you let's say your father died with a heart attack but clearly, if you take better care of yourself, your odds of having that are much, much better than if you don't take care of yourself. So it's kind of the same thing. It just doesn't mean you're going to have that problem. It just means there's more opportunity for that problem. So you need to take a little better care of the car.
3: Thank you. Another quick question. You bet. Is the power steering unit on cars, It's uh, how often do you recommend, uh, I know you talked about using a turkey baser which you yes, did a long time ago. Mm-hmm. How often do you recommend doing that? Uh, like this car is an 08 and I just wonder it's probably more by time than mileage i would think.
0: Yes sir that's one of those things that because it's so inexpensive if it were my car I'd be doing it pretty often probably about every 30,000 miles or so. Go ahead and just siphon out what you can get and pour some fresh in and if you do it that often you don't really have to worry about getting every bit out. Because you're constantly replenishing the additives, and eventually you're going to get it all out. But I would probably be doing that about every 30,000 miles. So just suck out what you can get out, refill it with the Honda Fluid, and then let it go from there. Kind of like the transmission on that car is real easy to service. So I would do it pretty frequently. All right. All right. That's all I ask. Thanks again for everything. Oh, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive. We would love to have you. Some of those things like that that a person can do themselves. They're very, very inexpensive, and they are protecting some pretty expensive components. Oh, most definitely. You're protecting a rack and pinion that costs eight to $900, and that's just for the part. That's not the labor to put it right. in. Right, the pump. Some, of the, some of the labor to put those racks in is four and five hours. That's right. Some I of mean, them are very difficult. Some are fairly straightforward, but some are fairly difficult. And then you have to go back and line the front end again and all right. that sort so of thing. So an, that's another added expense. That's right. And what you can do, if you just go in and draw out the fluid that you can, Uh huh refill it with fresh fluid of the proper type with the correct fluid that's correct because they have so many different kind of power steering fluids you have to be careful to put the right fluid back in but if you do that on a regular basis then it's never going to be like trying to get a contaminated fluid out right we get that a lot where people will say well do i need to flush my cooling system out say no just service it more often Mm -hmm. and if you service it more often it never gets 100 depleted so simply going in, doing a good drain and fill is going to do the job for you. And it's going to be much, much more effective than letting it run to depletion and then trying to get it out because you're adding chemicals and stuff. Well you can't get all that out. You the only out way anyway. you to get hundred percent of the cooling out of an engine is to take it apart and turn it upside down and dump it out. Well, that's right. You can get most of it out mm-hmm. if you can have access to the engine block. That's right. You can get part of it out if, with your access to the radiator right. and the hoses. Right. But if you don't wait until it's one hundred percent depleted, it's you not don't going have to be a to big get to the block. issue. Yeah, you You drain out what you you get out, out, it with with That way, way, the additives have have been restored. The The protection protection has been restored. All the stuff that keeps the hoses pliable has been restored. Mm-hmm. And just do it a little more frequently. Way, way cheaper than waiting to depletion And then going to spend a whole bunch of money to try to, hey, oh, my God, we've got to get all this out of here. Most Dude, definitely. Just, yeah, you, so you end up spending three or $400 trying to flush right. out a contaminant. Right. Whereas you could have done it yourself very inexpensively before it ever got to be a problem. We see that a lot with used cars. Mm-hmm. You know, we do our used car inspection, and a lot of times we find contaminated cooling system. That's right. And by the time you catch a contaminated cooling system, you're headed for trouble. Well, you almost total the car in many cases just because the coolant goes through almost every part of the car, just like one of our first callers was talking about the heater core. huh. And one of the first things you notice when you get a contaminated cooling system the heater core goes out. Right. And that may involve pulling the entire dash out of the car, which can easily be twelve to $1,500. Sure. Why? I mean, how easy was it to drain that coolant well, and have it change? If you had to bring it to the highest price shop in town and have it done. It's still cheaper than oh, pulling that dash out. Oh, my God. But that so heater core cheaper. goes out because it is the thinnest part right? of the cooling system. Right. And that's where the, uh, the contaminants are in the whole system. It hits that thin part and walks right through it. Yeah, it goes right through it. And what happens is that the water in a heater core is moving faster because it's a smaller part. That water flows faster through the heater core than it does, say, through the radiator. Mm -hmm. If you've got a contaminant, which is generally aluminum oxide, because as the aluminum starts to oxidize, it is going to produce that. That is an abrasive. That fast-moving abrasive going through there just wears a hole right through that yes it thin, does thin core and it doesn't take very long it's also got a lot of angles in a heater core because right. it's small in physical statue. the water has to change directions several times and so the abrasive in the coolant hits that hits it corner yeah wears right through it because it's paper thin to start with not only that but if you get some corrosion going on now you've got corrosion eating through it it just doesn't take very long at all i've seen so many heater cores change and like i was telling the gentleman earlier six months later it's leaking again right oh my god i must have got a bad heater core. no (laughs) that's not it (laughs) guess again (laughs) (laughs) so that's the thing when you're checking on having a job like that done rather than just check around and find who's got the lowest price do a little bit of talking to the folks who are changing it And see if they even realize that we've got to do a root core analysis to find Mm -hmm. out why this heater core went out the first time. Right. Because Because the guy who pops that price right off the top of his head, he's not going to do any of that. All he's going to do is go in there, take it out, put another one in. He's treating the symptom. He's not treating the root cause. He's he's treating the symptom as a problem. That's right. And with no root cause analysis and no root cause fix, it will be back. I'd be back, (laughs) (laughs) Kind of like Arnold says. There you go. (laughs) And almost as devastating. Almost, yeah. (laughs) Hey, we're going to take our final
1: quick little break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. And that's why cayenne pepper should never be stored in the bathroom. Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse show with me, Alphonse the know-it-all Cajun. caller what you want to know
2: alphonse my car needs a new transmission but i think there might be some other problems looming in the near future i might as well get a new car right
1: well here's what i'll recommend take it to the pros at agco automotive for a general inspection they know their stuff and they're mighty honest they'll be able to see if there's any problems likely in the future and tell you your best option and if you keep your car bring it into agco for regular maintenance and you'll be driving it for a long time
2: Thank you, Alphonse. You do know it all. Say, are you as good-looking as you are smart?
1: Well, let's just say, ah, uh, no, you wouldn't be disappointed. Booyah! Learn more about the benefits of Agco at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. com. Agco, it's the place to go.
2: Hey, welcome back. This is the Automotive
0: Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altizan from Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Watch, you go, give us a call. It's 291-6901. Be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. That's right. Get your questions answered personally right now. That's it. That personally is the key word. <laughs> We were talking before the break about brakes and uh-huh. stuff like that. And one other thing that occurred to me with a gentleman with the Acadia, if he's still listening, you might check and see some of those have a program that has to be re-instituted on the brake pedal position sensor when you change anything. Uh-huh. You have to reprogram the brake pedal position sensor or it'll throw, throw the, ABS the track light on. on. Yeah. Right. And that's relatively simple to do, to go back and just reset that. Because if you change something in the height of the pedal change, it can actually interfere with that. It didn't occur to me earlier, but mm-hmm. you might just check that. That's fairly easy for any competent shop to reprogram that sure. position sensor but we're talking about brakes and stuff like that some of the simplest things are what we see the most problems with and that is where folks go out and buy a set of aftermarket brake pads and put on their car and now maybe they squeak or they squeal and make black dust all over the wheel all of a sudden or, now you have a brake shutter in the steering wheel when they you hit the brakes warp the rotors and the reason being, I know when we were at the SEMA show, I was talking to a guy from Akibono who makes most of the original equipment pads, mm-hmm. and he was saying that they may have 20 different brake pad materials just for one Chevrolet pickup truck. Okay. Because they make some of the, or most of the OEM pads, because, yeah, Chevrolet may specify 20 different materials for this one vehicle. Wow. Based on the options, based on what kind of braking system they put in, so they make a pad specifically for each one with a different uh-huh. coefficient of friction and all that, well, with the aftermarket products, you don't get that. What you basically get is a one-size-fits-all. Right. It's a solid sheet of material stamped out with different backings to fit different applications. Right. And if it's a Chevy pickup or if it's a Corvette or if it's a Toyota Corolla Toyota or. Corolla, whatever, right. it may very well get the same material, which may physically stop the car. However, it may not take enough heat out of the rotor and it causes the rotors to warp. Mm-hmm. So now you end up having to buy not only more pads but a set of rotors and all that because you've got a brake shutter that you can't figure out where it came from go back to our phone lines, bill good morning bill
2: good morning quick question on you i had to quote three oil changes from toyota uh-huh what kind of oil are they using the synthetic
3: they should i to u- do it myself
2: yeah they
0: should be using the toyota brand oil and that's a good product we actually right. buy that in 55 gallon drums from toyota it's a good product i'm not sure who's making it for them someone told me exxon Mobil makes it for them but they've got their own oil that is what they should be using and okay, you can buy it in the quartz and all that. It's it's relatively inexpensive as a synthetic product goes. Is
2: it comparable to your favorite?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. If you want to go back with, say, a mobile one, you could do that. But if you've been using that one, I see no reason not to use it. It's a very good product. It's reasonably priced. Readily available. Yeah, you may have to go to a Toyota dealer to buy it, but um, they generally have a pretty good price on it. And if you buy a case at a time, they'll probably even cut you a little slack on it. Oh, okay. Well that sounds good. We really appreciate it. All right, man. Thanks, Bill. All right, bye bye. Bye bye. All right, two nine one sixty nine oh one is the number. If you want me to be part of the automotive, aisle, we'd love to have you. And you were speaking of the brake pads, mm-hmm. the aftermarket brake pads. A lot of your newer cars actually have a shim pack that goes between the caliper and the backing of the brake pad mm-hmm. to quiet noise Quiet <laughs> noise down. And a lot of times when those new pads, those new aftermarket pads get put on, the old ones go in the trash with the shim kits. Right. They don't think about taking that shim off and putting it back on the other pads, so it ends up hitting the trash can. And then they get a noise, a squeal or a squeak, and they bring it to us. Well, now we've got to buy pads and we've got to buy shims. And some of the shims sure. can cost almost as much as the pads do. I know. And I the know. shims are reusable from pad to pad. Right. So they're stainless they should, steel. They should stay on the car the life of the automobile. Right. As long as you're putting the OEM pad, you take the shim off the old pad, put the proper grease or lubricant on it. Right. Put it back on, put the lubricant on the backside, put it on the caliper. They're going to last the life of the car. Sure. Because they're stainless steel. So even if you live up north, they're not going to rust. Right. And that needs to be on there there are no extra parts on a car no there there's definitely not yeah. i mean that the price of cars today they'd skimp at every penny half a penny they can find well yeah because they're trying to make money and they're trying to keep the price of the car where people can afford to buy it and they're paying for so many things that have nothing to do with a car. Sure. You know, Health care for the auto workers and the this and that and all the little government regulations. The 15 all cars they drive into the wall to satisfy the government. Well, yeah, all those different things that they have to do that are added back to the price of a car. It runs the price of cars so high that the average person just can't afford to buy them any longer. Sure. So they can do one of two things. Either they can lose money on every car they sell, which that's which not ain't right. going to happen but, yeah. long. Or they can cut the content of the car sure. to a bone and so they can get the price to a level where people can afford to buy them and that's what they've actually done is they've engineered these cars down to the absolute minimum every single thing that is on that car has to be on that car there's sure. nothing extra on there so when you see a part on there you don't ever want to take and just say, throw it away yeah we, yeah. Don't, we don't need, we don't that. need this there's <laughs> <laughs> not any parts like that i guarantee you i know it hey we got tony on good morning tony
2: good morning i have a hack condition for a problem okay i got a 2001 cadillac mhm and I changed the battery, and it seemed like the air
0: condition and the heater just stopped working. Yes, sir. On a Cadillac, Tony, that one actually stores a code if something happens in the air conditioning. You're going to have to have that code reset before it's going to come back on.
2: And that's uh, the dealership?
0: No, sir. Any good mechanic shop, we do that at AgCorp. Just about any competent shop can do that. But the first thing I do is go in and clear the codes out of it, probably set a code. And when it does, it disables the air conditioner on Cadillac. Okay. What's the price of something like that? Not very much. I mean, we bill by the hour. It's $95 an hour, and we charge in one tenth of an hour increment. Something like that may take two or three tenths of an hour. So, you know, you're talking 30, 40 bucks. But where are y'all located? Well, go to my website. It's agcoauto.com. Got everything you need to know right there. All right. All right. Thank you. Have Thanks. a nice day. Thanks, Colin, Thank you. Tony. Bye-bye. Hey, we got to start winding it on up and get on out of here. I want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And go to your favorite pod service. Right. And find if they got a written rating. Give us a written rating. Yeah, we really appreciate that. Put review, and that'll move us up in the ratings. And that way more people can hear us. Always helps out. We sure. really appreciate it as well. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.